0: Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun
1: This is episode number 45 of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast And we are so, so, so excited to have a special guest on today's episode It's none other than ECW referee Jim Molyneux Jim, how are you? I'm doing good, how about yourself? I'm very, very excited to meet you. I must admit that I've probably watched more ECW than I care to even think about. <laughs> You're someone that I've seen on my TV screen for, for so many years, and to be talking to you is a pleasure, so thanks so much for coming on.
0: No problem, thanks, Ryan. I guess the ECW episodes, I guess you get them on WWE Network. Is they're fairly new to
1: you? Uh, so I'm in my 30s, so I grew up. As like a teenager through the ECW days, so uh, but you
0: didn't get you didn't get episodes on a, on a regular basis. You,
1: you trade, so we, uh, tape trading. Uh, there was a channel called Bravo in the UK that showed ECW, and it was kind of like two weeks old. So we oh wow. like, I
0: didn't even know. That. I did not know that the entire time I was in ECW. I did not know that.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was from like '97. So anything pre '97, okay. we didn't get. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, no, I, um, that
0: that was news to me. I never, I I figured um, the UK and, and a lot of other countries that never saw ECW and the original run never saw it um, until, you know, the network came into existence.
1: Exactly that. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, like you said there, there was obviously the big tape trading universe that um, people in the UK definitely got hold of um, fan cams and the fully edited shows for ECW. There. And yeah, it was extremely popular here in in the UK it was just a shame that you had ne- that you were never able to make it down
0: yeah that would that would have been great I, I think you know part of me thinks that ECW would have been great to, to tour internationally but then again part of me thinks well you know the, the growth of the company was kind of our downfall at a time you know at the, towards the end we probably could have stayed more regional and um, maybe save the company but you know
1: it's all good were you part of the Japanese tours?
0: No, no, I didn't go to any of those. Um, I'm not sure why. <laughs> it just plain old wasn't asked. And actually, none of our referees went, I don't think, unless maybe um, Pee Wee Moore did. He was very good friends with Sabu, so he may have gone. Right, okay. Uh, but none of the, the referees who were there on a, on a more regular basis than Pee Wee. Pee Wee was in and out every once in a while. Um, okay. But myself and John Finnegan, we weren't invited.
1: <laughs> Sorry to hear that, Jim.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I would have loved to have
1: gone. So yeah, um, we've got a whole host of questions from the team here at Wrestling Should Be Fun and then also some fan questions. We don't want to take up too much of your time, so hopefully we can get through them all. Yeah, sounds good, no problem. Don't feel like you have to um, go too long-winded on any of these in that case. Um, But yeah, there's some really interesting stuff here. Hopefully the questions are to your taste and if there's anything that you don't want to talk about, obviously just just say pass. Okay. Absolutely fine. We'll start off with pre-extreme days. Was there much of a shift in styles from the Tri-State to Eastern with Larry Winters to Eastern with Eddie Gilbert? Um,
0: no, not really. I mean, we had to learn the the style of television that Eddie put together. Larry had done television, not really. I don't think it's been the booker for television uh, with a group over here called NWF, right? Um, which he had a huge feud with DC Drake in and they took it all over the country on the independent circuit at the back in the time but um and I had never worked television before so it was all new to me anyway no matter who was the the person in charge right okay actually the real big change was Eddie to Paul right in the way of doing television because Eddie would come in with a a long sheet of paper with three weeks worth of television on it with everything all set up and yeah. Paul would come in <laughs> and just look around the room and see who was there and just start writing matches.
1: Okay. Put the show together that way. So did that cause a bit of problems with the pair of them?
0: Well, uh, no, cause Paul had worked with Eddie on television before um, in the, the continental promotion uh, right. when Eddie was uh, booking that Paul had been there. So I, I'm sure Paul was used to his, his style. And then when, when Eddie left, Paul just took over and, um, you know, it was, it was his style. So. Yeah.
1: And then in the early days when it was Eastern championship wrestling, um, you had many uh, legendary wrestling there. You had the likes of Rogoria Hawk, Jimmy Snuka, Don Morocco. What was it like to work with those people?
0: Oh, those guys are great. I'd worked with a few of them before in, in tri-state. Uh, so it was, it wasn't really that big of a thing to, um, to switch over. Uh, yeah. I think that it have been different if I had been with Tri-State and only worked with our local guys and never had a chance to work with any uh, bigger names or, or well-known names. Uh, yeah. Guys who had been with WWF or, or the NWA uh, at the time. But no, I, I got a chance to work with those guys before uh, or at least a handful of them before. So I was comfortable with working with them. No problem at all.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine that um, they helped some of the guys that were a uh, letter name in the locker room too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they helped some of the, the newer guy, the guys that had never done television before kind of helped them, you know, make sure you, you know, work the camera, the cameras over yep. here, it's always worked that <laughs> you know, so it, it was something new for, for some of us to learn.
1: There's a question here about Paul Heyman in terms of um, via beyond the mats. Um, we were lucky enough to see the um, impassioned like promo that he cut to the whole locker room pre barely legal was he the locker room leader that it looked like on that show
0: yeah yeah because paul wasn't in the truck he didn't disappear into the production truck he was there and and kind of got people who needed it um, ready for their match you know really talk them up and and make sure their heads were in the right place uh there were guys who didn't need it um, but he was there for for anyone who needed you know some emotional Um, stability because it was again we had done television and you can always fix it at editing but now we're now we're live on television and everybody's looking for us to fail so uh, it was really important that everybody knew exactly what they were doing and did not fail
1: did you feel that pressure in terms of that you felt almost like there was that want of failure from people oh sure
0: I I think you know we we felt that uh, the company was maybe ridiculed is not the right word, but it, it's one I'll use, look down upon as you know, a, a big disaster. And, you know, we're not deserving of, of pay-per-view as opposed to the other two companies that had, had big money behind them and, you know, worked in big arenas, you know, pay-per-view yep. should be in big arenas and big lights and big... You know pyro and fireworks and everything and we were we were something small we were something different that nobody had seen before on pay-per-view
1: yeah definitely set you apart it was down and dirty and people loved it <laughs> yeah
0: i think it's one of the best pay-per-views we ever did
1: yeah and it's the it's barely legal the one where the generator almost died right like just yeah as, yeah just as we
0: went off the air probably about two minutes after we went off the air
1: it yeah blue amazing <laughs> So that obviously was the famous one because of Beyond the Map that everyone was able to see it. But was that something that Paul Heyman would do quite often? Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, he was good at at rallying the troops. Yeah. um, Getting everybody on the the same wavelength and, and making sure that people weren't going in the
1: business for themselves. Right, of course, yeah. So, what was it like going from upstarts to them being on national TV and then onto pay-per-view? Um, did it feel like the momentum was building? Like, was it? Oh yeah, like, yeah. It it, like, this is happening.
0: Yeah, it was. It was a fun ride to be on. I was like when I started, I didn't expect to be on television and let alone pay-per-view, and then a national television show with the TNN network. Yeah. Uh, even though that only lasted a year, but still, I, I had family all over the country. It never seen what I do and some who didn't know what I did and I could say, Hey, if you have the national network or I guess it was a national network at the time, check it out and see what we do. And maybe that wasn't a good idea. Sometimes <laughs> some of the stuff that we did do, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was neat. I, I, I think the progression was, was good until we lost that deal with TNN. I, I think that was the catastrophe that that started the downhill slide of the company
1: yeah i think um as a massive fan of of ecw like my my personal taste i think 97 98 was the greatest for ecw personally but yeah uh, i don't know how you feel like do you feel like had you been on tv and pay-per-view in 95 96 when there was some more kind of like edgier stuff going on with the raven and soundman stuff that maybe that would have got you even bigger
0: You know, I don't know, because it was edgy, maybe we wouldn't have gotten TV. Maybe somebody would have seen it and and said, wow, you know, we'll we'll back off on the TV. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think the company did need to make some changes if they wanted to stay on TV. And and just, you know, because of what television was and and is, is that, you know, you're you kind of need to watch what you do sometimes. Absolutely, and, you know, there are all kinds of want shows getting canceled because of certain things or, or actors getting yes. removed from television shows because of certain things that, you know, if, if ECW was around today and we, we kept in the same attitude that we had, I think some wrestlers would disappear
1: um, yes, and you know, so. people
0: would have to pay for maybe some of the things we, we probably would be doing.
1: Yeah, I think um, it lived in a zeitgeist of the 90s and it probably wouldn't translate to 2020s now. Um, right. Yeah. I, was,
0: I always say I'm glad we were on television during the Clinton era. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, it was such a revolutionary promotion that obviously it, it really did change the game. And, and how we say about the kind of stuff that was on East WTV, the bigger promotions, they took a lot of that stuff and made it worldwide.
0: Yeah, I for a long time they they were afraid to take some of the things that we were doing and and make it their own and and they realized that maybe we they should
1: give it a try themselves. It worked for them, you know. It was called the Attitude Era. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And yeah, like how many times did you hear an ECW chant at those shows when something extreme happened? It was right, exactly.
0: Amazing. And and it went on for years after the you know after the company even ended.
1: It did absolutely did yeah. The legacy of ECW is still there, absolutely. So, yeah, one of the matches that you're most famous for is the classic Mysterio Psychosis 2 out of 3 Fools. There's a question here from someone that should be fun of how difficult was it to adapt to a Lucha style from a referee's point of view?
0: Um, I just had to be a little quicker on my feet, try to anticipate where they're going and, yeah. and not be there. And kind of be out of the way. Otherwise, um, I think I did pretty good. I think I kept up with them. I think for, so, too. <laughs> for never working, you know, Lucha style before. Um, yeah, I think I kept up with them pretty good. That's that's one of my favorite matches. It's an amazing
1: match. As you were handed the match, did you know about the pair of them previously? Like, were you clear no. up? In, in, no. You new, just new- enter that ring and just be like, Wow, this is fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, knew knew very little, if anything, and I, I can't remember if they were on the AAA when Worlds Collide pay-per-view. Um, that was the only real time I had seen any lucha. Yeah, uh, I never we I didn't get it here on television in my area, um, so I, I never really had an experience with it. And I think you know we adapted pretty well to it.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, the, and that crowd loved it, didn't they? Absolutely. love Yeah.
0: It. Yeah. They love the show, the, that match.
1: Another match that you're well known for is Sabu versus Funk versus Douglas. Uh, was that your first time doing a 60 minuteer?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I, I think that might be uh, my favorite match that really? I've done with ECW of all time, just because it, it's so significant to the company. Yes. Uh, you had mentioned tape trading before, I think that this match was the most traded match ECW had for a long time um, yeah. because it was so significant, meant so much to the company and, and really put us on the national and international map. Um, so I'm, I'm really just luck of the draw that, you know, maybe maybe it was John Finnegan handed out the matches to the referees. Right. Okay. Um, and it could have been luck of the draw that, that I got the match, or maybe he didn't want to do a 60 minute match. <laughs> or, <laughs> I like you, know,
1: <laughs> you know,
0: whatever, whatever the, you know, answer is, it was just pure luck.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And I, I, like I said, I love
1: that match. And then obviously the promo afterwards, as you say, it was just iconic, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the match and the promo together, it, it's a, it's a complete package.
1: Yeah. And that's pretty much what changed from Eastern to extreme. And then, you were off and away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, we were off and running there, and, and we ran with it. Absolutely, you did. Next one, Rob Van Dam's legendary undefeated streak with the TV title saw some amazing matches. At the time, did you think he was the best wrestler in the world at that point?
0: Yeah. Ooh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if he wasn't, he was in what I would consider top five. Yeah. At the time. I was I was a big fan of of Eddie Guerrero and I would have put him in that list too. Yeah, Dean Malenko um, was was on my top list, and I, and I had the opportunity to work with those two guys also. Yeah, you um, did, yeah, but yeah, yeah, Rob was definitely in in one of the the top seats, not only for ECW but the, the, all the entire business.
1: Yeah, um, those matches went like it would take him like four minutes to go around the crowd and clap everyone <laughs> and like. <laughs> People just absolutely swarmed to Rob Van Dam, and then he would put on the match of the night, pretty much most nights. Yeah, it just felt like, yeah, he's the man. Even though he was only the only the TV champion,
0: right? I, mean, I did the match between him and Bam Bam Bigelow. Where I love that match. Yeah, Bam Bam lost um, hit to him. Yeah, uh, there's another one, Bam Bam. I loved working with.
1: Yeah, um, he was incredible, but, and he that was a,
0: a great match too.
1: Yeah, I. I personally love a match where it's like big man versus a fast guy. Like, I just think that's a really good combination in wrestling.
0: Right. But you need the right people to, to be able to pull it off.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah.
0: And Bam Bam was perfect for that because he was probably the the best high-flying big man ever.
1: Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Him and Vader probably. Yeah. The two, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I, I, might, I might give the advantage to, to Bam Bam because I think he was a little quicker yes um than vader but yeah definitely i think if it was another big man you name any big man i don't think that match would have come off the way it did
1: yeah that's fair um yeah Batman was incredible wasn't he i was lucky enough to get sent recently by a friend one of his matches in all japan where he wrestled with boss man in a tag team against two japanese dudes and it was amazing wow
0: yeah i i love some of the japanese stuff that he he did you know, you you I can watch any Bigelow match
1: and just yeah, same, <laughs> you know,
0: just get into his head and, and think of what he's doing and where he's going
1: and, and just you know the way he processes a match. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, some of the stuff that you hear about outside of the ring as well. It seemed like he was a really nice dude as well. Yeah, he was. He he
0: was really a, a just a sweet human being. Uh, you know that the story of him saving those kids from the, the fire right, yes, yeah, just yeah. before he passed away. You know, is was, was a great story. Uh, he, he promoted something for ECW at a, at a farmer's market near me. And they wanted me to go with him and, you know, kind of accompany him and hand out stuff and things like that. And I brought my daughter with me who was six at the time. Oh, wow. And he just put her up on his shoulders and, just walked around with her and, you know, got, got her pretzels and, all, you know, just had a great time with her. And, and he was he was great to everybody that was around him. Never yeah, knew him to ever be cross at anyone.
1: That's amazing to hear. Like, obviously, he's such an imposing figure with the t- tattoos on his head. And there he is, <laughs> right. Just being the like, the like lovely Uncle Bam Bam.
0: <laughs> right. And being in New Jersey, which is where he was from. I mean, yeah. it seemed like everybody knew who he was.
1: Oh, that's Whether great. you yeah. were
0: wrestling or, or new wrestling or anything about it, you, everyone knew who Bam Bam Bigelow was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple of Mike Awesome questions because this podcast were big Mike Awesome fans. Firstly, being in the ring and later taking the bump when Taz came out to beat Awesome for the ECW title, that must have been pretty surreal, right?
0: Yeah. Well, that whole day was kind of crazy. I, I got into Indianapolis that day and they pulled me aside From someone from the office pulled me aside and said, "You have to go meet with Paul," and I was like, "Oh no! I Um, I actually (laughs) get fired. I did something wrong." Yeah, but I had to go through the whole process of being the go-between of Mike Awesome and the office of Mike Awesome or or WCW because he had um, a cute shoot. I can't think of his name. Uh, WCW security head with him, right uh, there, and Paul and this, you know, here's what we need. And I had to use exact words. Like I couldn't variate from, from the, to, uh, I mean, it was just that that important. Um, I had to go back and forth with the contract and then went with Tommy dreamer and sat down and said, here's what we're going to do. And then we brought Taz in and and we figured everything and just, yeah, it was just like on edge all day. And I didn't even get to the building till like maybe 10 minutes before the match and had to get dressed for yeah. it and that was the first match I did and I, unfortunately the the only other referee that night I think was Mike Keener and I I saw Mike earlier and I said look you got to do the show until I get there Wow! Um, That's and then I, I did that and then picked up some matches afterwards to, to give the poor guy a break but yeah right. it was it was a pretty intense day
1: that sounds um, it yeah um I've heard stories about how like Taz would do the merch and Bubba was involved in the website and the and um, the hotline and things. And it sounds like Paul has you as almost like a lawyer <laughs>
0: that day. Yeah, I mean, I did. I did um, uh, later uh, down the line after some of the guys had left who were doing things behind the scenes. I got involved with the promotional end. Right. I would I would go ahead to a city like maybe two or three weeks in advance from when we were going to be there and promote the town and then catch up to where everybody else was and, and referee the shows.
1: Right. Okay. Um,
0: So yeah, I, I got involved. I became fairly well trusted (laughs) with, with, you know, being able to do things. I drove a lot of the guys too. I was, you know, considered to be reliable to get the guys there without, any kind of issue or, or things like that. Yeah. The only, you know, there were a couple of times we got there late because the Steiner brothers wouldn't leave their hotel room until the Michigan football game was over. Oh no. (laughs) You know, but that was like the worst of it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. I can imagine that you've had some interesting road trips with the ECW wrestlers through the years then.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) The one funny story I really tell is I was having trouble with neighbors living next door and uh, it turns out they were actually um, selling cars. They were they were taking their speedometers and, and putting them back, and, and oh, wow. selling them from their house. And I knew something was up with this guy. And even from the point of his kids would come knock on the door to play with with my kids, and he the one kid would look in the door and say, "Oh, I see you have a computer," or "I see, oh, you that that's right, really okay. nice." Like,
1: Alarm bells. This,
0: this guy's eyeing me up to, you know, to shake down the house. Right. <laughs> so I decided, well, I'm going to stop and, and see if I can maybe help put an end to this. And I had a uh, Dodge minivan at the the time. So I loaded um, Ron and Don Harris. Wow. And okay. <laughs> Brian Lee into my van. And I said, do you mind making a stop at the house on the way to where we were going? They're like, no. And I told them what was going on. So all they did was we pulled up and they got out of the car and my daughter in front of them, the kid next door is playing with my daughter. Um, <laughs> she came running up to him, Uncle Ron, Uncle Don, and climbed on them like they were a human jungle gym. Right. <laughs> and and, you know, I just ran inside, grabbed something and came back out <laughs> and we took off. And the next morning I asked my daughter what happened. And she said that the, the kid asked, who are they? And she said, "Oh, they're my my dad's uncles that that we all, they work with. They're they're all wrestlers, and never had another problem." My God, All those people lived here
1: next to me, <laughs> the Harris brothers as your bounty hunters. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It might have been e- even weirder if they still had the big hair and the beards.
0: <laughs> they did at the time. Yeah, oh yeah. oh yeah, they did absolutely. You know, and Brian had the long hair and beard too.
1: Brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> one last one on um, Mike Awesome. You refereed the match at One Night Stand, the Mike mm-hmm. Awesome-Tanaka match, obviously very similar to a lot of the other matches that um, that they had in the past, but that was kind of the match where more people had eyes on it, I guess. Yes. Um, and in that match, you took an awesome bomb. Um, <laughs> what, what's it like as a referee when you're told that you have to take a bump like that?
0: I don't know if I've told this story publicly or not. Um, Mike and I were the only two knew that was going to happen. Really? Okay. Um, he wanted to do it. I didn't want to um, come off to Mike and the boys as a company stooge by going to whoever the, the um, producer was and say, hey, don't forget to get on camera Mike giving me the power bomb at the after the match and him saying, no, we're not going to do that and right. cut it out. So I went with it. And if you go back and watch the match itself, Mike cut himself pretty good.
1: Um, yes, yes, he did, his yeah. leg
0: got cut up pretty good. And I was worried maybe there was a, some kind of tendon problem. Yeah. And I said, are you okay to still do this? And he said, yeah, but let me backtrack before the match. He said, we want to, this is what I want to do. And he told me, and I said, well, look, I'm not really good at jumping off my feet. I'm kind of low center gravity. Um, and I'm not good at I'm kind of fat, Mike, is <laughs> basically <laughs> I told him. He goes, don't worry, I'll pick you up. So you go back to the match, and the, the finish was outside the ring. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you?" I went out and checked on him. I, where I was out there, and I checked on him, and I said, do you still want to do that? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, are you sure you can, can do it? He goes, yeah, I'll get you. Don't worry. And if you go back and watch it, and when they actually do show it, I barely got up and, yeah. and I almost landed on my neck. I almost Ooh. broke my neck. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, he said he could still get me. <laughs> wow. Not, not, not that well. And and that's why you really didn't see it that well on the the pay-per-view itself because they weren't ready for it. No one, no cameras yeah. were ready for it. Yeah. That's it why like we saw it on the replay. From, yeah.
1: It wasn't a planned spot from the back, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So obviously trust in wrestling is such a, a huge thing. You've obviously gone through the experience there of having a guy say, "Yeah, I'm fine to do it," and then really probably shouldn't have done with the state of his leg. <laughs> yes, like I guess that's something that wrestling is, isn't it? It's, it's an element of trust and yeah, you just hope that you know they can do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's something I'm I'm learning a little bit on on the indies that there's a lot of trust a lot of trust involved, and it's it's odd because you don't see everybody for you know every week every night. Yeah. Where, you know, with a company like an ECW or, you know, WWF, you see people on a more regular basis, you know how they can trust each other. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at how well people trust each other on the indies. You know, they, oh, yeah. they don't um, see each other
1: all the time. From like, from our side in the UK, um, we had a wrestler over here who sadly passed away through suicide called Lionheart. And two or three years previous to that happening, he was in a match with AJ Styles and took the Styles Clash and broke his neck. I okay. Think, uh,
0: I, I think I've heard that story where he didn't position himself the right way.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Like moves like that obviously are so trust involving. Yeah. And oh, yeah, absolutely. As you say, like, if it's not someone on the roster that you get used to wrestling and it's an indie match, and it's a one off. Like those things can easily happen. Right. Right. Then there's two more for ECW. You were involved in the um, as a playable character in the Anarchy Rules video game. What was your experience like? <laughs> I have machine right up here. <laughs> um, yeah, that was
0: pretty neat. I you know I'd never anticipated you know doing something like that. Nobody had included referees exactly, uh, yeah. in games, so uh, we went to the Acclaim offices up in New York and and they you know did all the filming that they have to do with the the cat the, um, the, the like scanning. The, yeah, the scanning and the three sixty cameras and, and doing the voiceovers. Yeah, that was pretty neat. That was fun.
1: Like you say, how um, at some point through the upsurge of ECW, you were able to kind of show your family and friends what you do. It must be amazing to turn up and say, "I'm in a video game." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but it, I don't know. Nobody, nobody can see it anymore because it's so old. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any kind of uh, format. I don't. I don't. Don't have video games here, and I don't. I don't play them. I don't know if there's any kind of format that could play an old disc like that.
1: I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that you can.
0: I'm, yeah, you'd have to have the original PlayStation Two or
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dreamscape
0: <laughs> or whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm. I remember. Um, wrestling as you and versus you on that game it's so weird
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you had to you had to win the ECW title as Rhino to release my character
1: (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) and then the last one that we've got for ECW was ECW ran for roughly eight years as extreme championship wrestling just like other upstart companies do you think they simply run out of steam or do you think that you might have carried on if the money was there
0: oh I think we would have gone on if the money was there I I think Paul had the desire to keep it running. I don't know many, how many people would have stuck around if, even if we got to where we were, where it was so low, and yeah. he all of a sudden showed up with you know a boatload of money to keep us going. Um, I don't know how many people would have stuck around. It I, it would have been a, a different product, and, and probably forcibly because of having to use a lot of different talent. I think we we probably would have lost Rob Van Dam. Yeah. And Jerry Lynn, um, just because, you know, even though the money was there, they're like, eh, had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, But we had guys coming in that I think would have had careers big enough to run the company, to keep the company running. Um, C.W. Anderson, yeah. um, Christian York and Joey Matthews as a tag team. So I, I think a lot of younger guys like that could have kept the, the company rolling.
1: Yeah, I must admit that those later uh, ECW shows, the the wrestling itself holds up. Like,
0: I, like, oh, absolutely! Chilly Willy was one of my favorites. He was an incredible, incredible talent. I loved
1: him. I was thinking about him recently as to why he didn't move on to WWE or WWF. I guess it's just just one of those things. I guess.
0: Well, honestly. I- um, he did go for a little bit, and I might have this backwards as to timeline as to what happened, but um, when nine eleven happened, he um, re-enlisted uh, from what oh, I really? remember. Yeah, wow. I believe he got, and he may have gotten hurt, not in battle, but he, I think he probably did. I think he did something to his knee, tore his knee up pretty good. Right, okay. Um, but I, I might be wrong with the storyline. It's not really my story to tell, but I know he did, I'm pretty sure he did re-enlist right, after okay. 9-11.
1: Yeah, as you say, um, I was a big fan of his.
0: Yeah, and he's running a school. I believe he's running a school and maybe a promotion uh, now in the Philippines.
1: He, he moved to okay. the
0: Philippines and he's involved in something there.
1: Brilliant. That's great to hear that he's still in the game. And then we've got just some kind of general questions here. Um, sure. As a referee's character is centered on the maintenance of order, obviously, ECW was the currency of chaos. So, to what impact did it impact your performance? Obviously, the rules and regulations in ESW were a lot different to other promotions.
0: Well, no, I, I think we, as as referees, and and I think I speak for John and the other guys too, I speak, John and I were there the entire time. So I always refer to to John also, um, you know, I think we did try to enforce the rules and we were fairly well listened to, um, you know, a a 10 count on the outside of the ring. Yeah. Uh, They would roll back in, break the count. Yeah. Um, a five count in the ring to break in the corner or break on the ropes they would break and go back um so i, I think you know those those type of rules were were followed um and, and if you go back and really watch the match and watch everything that's going on around the moves um or the match itself i think we we pulled it off
1: absolutely and uh, next one um what are your likes and dislikes about modern refereeing
0: my biggest dislike is that they're they're not character enough um, okay. but i don't mean over character either not being goofy and crazy being able to enforce the rules i don't think that's that's happening a lot i also don't like the fact that they're not recognized in the wwe
1: yeah um, like nameless should, re- like nameless referees it, now isn't it yeah. absolutely
0: they should be named these guys work hard too and they should have their names out there um, I always thank Joey Styles for mentioning a referee's name once yeah. every time on a television show. So yeah, you knew absolutely. who they were. It wasn't every match, but made sure that a referee's name was said so you knew who that person was. Yeah, And yeah. if it wasn't for Joey doing that, I don't think it, we wouldn't be having this interview now. People wouldn't know who I am or who John is or who, who Mike Keener or Jeff Jones or any of us.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true because I can whittle off the names of ECW referees, WCW referees, WWF from the past, but I can't name you the ones now apart from Charles Robinson. I don't think.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Me too. I, I don't I can't. And um, it's nothing against the guys. It's it's the way they're not, yeah. presented.
1: Next question. You've been a long time advocate of independent wrestling. Um, what are you a fan of currently?
0: I would consider this independent. Um, just because they don't have a real national television deal, but I, I love Um, Well, maybe it is a a television deal, but I I love the companies that are just about ready to break. I love the MLWs, the NWAs. Um, You know, you can't see them on Saturday morning or or Tuesday night or or Monday night or whenever uh, the bigger companies are seen. Yeah. And you can't see them locally syndicated. That's what I would like to see more locally syndicated companies. Even around here, if you could just get a Philadelphia-based company to get on to local television, but television's so expensive. And that's why it's not done.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, a lot of the companies I work for, I work for ECWA now. Yeah. Um, and they've been around for, for those who are listening. Uh, they've been around for years and years and years. Um, they do a super eight every year. Um, I started working for them last year on their 25th uh, super eight. And uh, I've been working for them ever since. Um, Amazing. Yeah and, um, they, you know, and their, their next super eight is coming up in a couple of weeks March the 26th. I don't have a calendar in front of me but I know it's the last Saturday of of the month
1: right okay and um, the next question was actually about the super 8 tournament the question was about um your friends with Matt Tremont. did you get to ref him at all
0: no I've never refed Matt actually um have I no <laughs> <laughs> no um Matt. Uh, was working and actually was partner in a company called On Point Wrestling. And right. at the time I was running old time wrestling and we had our own facility and he came in. That was when I really first met him. I, I, I had met him before, but didn't remember because he was like a 12 year old kid having a birthday party <laughs> at the school I was running. Um, yeah. But Matt ended up taking over the facility that I had and that's where he has uh, H2O now. All right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to to referee any of Matt's matches. Uh, while I was running the building and running the promotion, uh, I didn't referee. In fact, I when I when I worked for ECWA last year, that was the first time I had refereed in seven years.
1: Really? And, okay.
0: And really, the the first time I had done a full show, not as not by myself, but more than just being a guest referee for a match since. Uh, 2006, the the last one night stand. Wow. Okay. Original ECW pay per view. Um, now I'm back doing refereeing again. And between refereeing and autograph sessions, last year I did uh, like 13 events, 13, 14 events starting in, I think, don't think we started until May. I might be wrong, but I think it was May. And already this year I have like 24 events scheduled like i said between wrestling events and um like autograph signings right okay
1: so you said that, that um that you hadn't refereed for what, was it seven years was that right yeah yeah i had,
0: I had done one match in otw just because we, the storyline was that they needed a uh, a referee that wouldn't put up with any crap and, right, and okay. you know they needed one that would lay the rules down so i came out of retirement to to referee the match
1: Cause you hear about even with the greatest wrestlers in the world about ring rusts. Is that such a thing for a referee as well?
0: Oh yeah. Especially when like the rust is in your knees <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you're probably hmm, 15 or 20 pounds heavier right, than right. you were. <laughs> um, and you know, now just in my case, now I'm in my sixties. So You know, yeah, that's where the rust was. I I think I was pretty good with with the timing and getting out of the way and and knowing where everybody was going for for what. So I didn't lose that part. It was just, you know, a little bit slower. A little bit slower.
1: (laughs) Next up, in your stint with Monster Factory, um, that's where you saw uh, guys like Priest and Seamus for the first time. Was it immediately clear to you that they were on the path to big things?
0: Seamus, yes. Yes. Um, okay. he had the determination um, he had come to us it was the first time he had really stepped in a ring before he really got his real training at Irish whip yeah he came to us and was doing the basics and you know I thought he's got the size and, and especially after um, he had finished up with Irish whip and, and was making his name for himself in the UK and through Europe WWE was coming in for a tour and asked me if I could reach out to Tommy Dreamer, who was involved with um, uh, talent relations at the time. And I did that for him. Oh, um, Damien Priest was a little bit of a different story. Uh, there was a lot of behind the scene business crap going on okay. uh, at the Monster Factory at the time, and it was splitting off into different companies. And And the the head trainer and myself, we took off with with the OTW label and some went with Larry and some other guys went with the monster factory label okay. and the guys were given the choice and uh, priest had worked for us. He, uh, we called him uh, Luis, the Martinez, the punisher, Luis Martinez. Yeah. So he had worked with us yet yeah, for a while. And, and he came to us at one point and said, I don't want to do this. I, I can't keep up with the schedule. We were running one show a week, <laughs> so yeah. uh, I don't know if that was that hard of a schedule. But okay, he was young at the time, and and he was working at clubs in uh, in the Atlantic City area. So he went off, and we went on our own, and those guys went on their own, and then he showed up over there. Yeah, uh, kept with with the Monster Factory name, and that that was that worked out good for him.
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah, obviously those two wrestlers are now at the WWE kind of in the upper mid-card. Right. Um, but it's quite an interesting path that both of them took. Because obviously Sheamus was kind of skyrocketed almost straight away through ECW and then became world champion almost, what, a year into his stint. Yeah. Game, which must have been amazing for you as you were someone that helped him get to the WWE without yeah. uncle with yeah. I,
0: Actually, the, the biggest thing I did for him <laughs> his career was his visa was about ready to run out. And I said, you better go home. Right. Or or if you do want to come and work for the WWE and you're you're, if you have visa problem, they'll never take you. So Larry, I think, was kind of mad at me (laughs) for sending him away (laughs) because he saw money in him. But it was the right thing to do. And obviously him calling me and asking for uh, a little help with coming with uh, keeping in contact with the WWE. Yeah, um, (laughs) I think it was the right move. I think but, think you know we we trained other guys who have who've reached their goals too. QT Marshall who's with AEW, Nick Camarada, who's with AEW, uh Brian Johnson who was part of Ring of Honor and he's now working on the indies and I'm hoping Knock on Woody's going to show up at AEW too. Um so yeah, and when I was at the Monster Factory, we had Tank Tolan who was one of the if you remember on SmackDown they had the the Chippendale impersonators, oh, yes. yeah. Dick, uh, he was one of them and, and Cliff Compton who was um,
1: Domino. Domino, Deuce yeah. and Domino. Yeah.
0: So yeah, you know, knock on wood, I helped a, a lot of guys get to where they, they want it. And I, th- I hope that's the legacy I'm remembered for more than anything that I was able to contribute to people getting to where they
1: want it. Yeah. That's, that's so lovely to hear those stories. And yeah, I think that you should be very proud of yourself for it as well
0: yeah i i you know i my career as a referee i don't look at that as as being important uh, i look at it you know i was able to give back to the business that i love
1: yeah and i'd like to thank you as well because i love shameless matches <laughs> <laughs> i do too next up uh what's the most scared that you've been in a wrestling ring hmm
0: i don't know if i've ever been really scared in the ring um maybe maybe cautious and ready for anything to happen right um there were a couple of times in buildings um wasn't necessarily the match it was the crowd
1: really right
0: where i was like these guys are going (laughs) to riot and we we did cause a few riots here and there uh, or or at least i was in the ring when a few riots started (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i can imagine um i've never been part of a crowd like that personally but i've heard from like, especially in like the 80s and early 90s, especially in places like Puerto Rico, it seemed like some pretty sketchy crowds. Right.
0: Well, if you, if you remember the opening of ECW when they're throwing the chairs in the ring. Yeah, that's that's fun only, well, right? Right. I'm under the ring. No way, really. <laughs> because the chairs started coming and there was no way to get up the aisle. And I was just afraid of getting hit with a random chair. So I crawled under the ring and waited until they were done.
1: Wow. The I match was over.
0: That. So, I mean, there's no reason for me to be there. I did not know that.
1: That, that must have been a weird few minutes for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the timekeeper knew I was under there. And when it was clear, he lifted up the skirt and goes, you can come
1: out now. You can come out now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one for the general questions. Have you ever worked in the UK? And now you're taking bookings. Is that something that you'd be interested in?
0: I've never had the opportunity. I would be interested, but I'm just... I'm really bad on flying. Right, okay. Not that I hate flying. I just can't sit still right. long enough. I go back and forth to Florida a lot. My my children and my grandchildren live in Florida and a two hour flight kills my legs.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So maybe I need to start wearing compression socks or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, but yeah. I will, oh, I would love to. Because I, I love to. Come over. I'm a big British music fan. So okay. I yeah. don't take the opportunity to come over and and do a match is great, but I'd love to, you know, you know, walk across the street at Abbey road. And, oh yeah. 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 You know, maybe if I could go to Liverpool and see the cavern and all that kind of stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, Paul McCartney's just been announced as headlining this year's Glastonbury. So get on that flight, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to, I wish I, you know, McCartney, I'm a big McCartney fan. Uh, I'm more of a wings fan than I, I probably okay. am a Beatles fan. Um, and he toured in the U.S. in 76, and I just could shoot myself in the head for for not getting tickets and going. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's one of my favorite live albums, Wings Over America. Just some of the stuff that they did. And he had Denny Lane playing with him. And Denny Lane did um, Go Now, which is a great Moody Blues song. Right, okay. So Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm a big McCartney fan. So, yeah, if you can get me McCartney tickets, I'm there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> so is the um you mentioned the previously about Irish whip wrestling so you obviously clued up a little bit on uk scene a little bit um are you able to catch any independent stuff over here
0: no not really i you know i don't watch that much newer stuff okay um i was watching some of the things here in the u.s um there was um swe fury which was a company out of texas okay uh, they were putting their whole shows up on on youtube during the pandemic Um, So I was, you know, watching a new show every week with that. But I'm more of a a person that goes on YouTube and and finds old stuff. Uh, Someone just a couple of weeks ago put up a bunch of old Mid-South wrestling stuff, house show matches. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. And it's all things that I love. Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, fantastic. So I'm a big tag team fan. They were three of my favorite tag teams to, to see work. Butch Reed against, you know, Terry Taylor against Ric Flair, the Von Erics against uh, Chris Adams and um, Gino Hernandez from Tulsa for for them. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's the stuff I'm really concentrating on. And I actually just kind of. When I watch wrestling, I I watch it when (laughs) my wife's not around. She's not a wrestling fan. So um, I I squeeze them in where I can and when I can.
1: (laughs) So did your wife ever go to any shows as like as being a non-fan or was she just not fast at all?
0: No, she never went. The only time she did was I did um, a weekend independent run where the matches were in Buffalo, New York and Rochester, New York. And we took my daughter. My daughter would go to the matches. Um, but we went because we Buffalo's right next to Niagara Falls. And I said, well, let's go and we can check out Niagara Falls and you can stay in the room that night and we'll go to the matches. And then the next day we'll drive to Rochester, do the matches and drive home from there. So she got stuck having to go to the matches in Rochester, but she didn't watch them. She stayed down in the um, it, it was at a baseball field. So she stayed at the, in the players lounge and watched television. And I went and did the matches, and we got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I can but that's imagine the that, closest.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that um, she would have seen some sights and sounds had she gone backstage to ECW.
0: <laughs> well, she, the, she's sitting in the in that players' lounge, and Mick Foley was on the show, and he came and sat next to her. <laughs> and uh, she said, "I can't believe I I sat there and watched television with him." And I said, "Well, look at it this way: is that." You just watched television with a New York Times bestseller.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently a Santa Claus as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So now it's just five questions that we um, put out on on our social media. Um, So so some fans of the podcast just asked them. So the first one is from 2000's WWE on Twitter. What was the craziest interaction that you had with a talent?
0: Ooh. Hmm. I, I really didn't get involved with a lot of the crazy stuff. Maybe the being part or, or being around the birth of the head. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Watching Al Snow develop the the character of the head and, you know, just like maybe sitting at a restaurant and him all of a sudden turning to the head and telling it to shut up. that it, <laughs> You know, it was interrupting the discussion or things like that. Maybe, maybe that was the, the one of the weirdest. Where does everybody work? This whole thing with the head has got.
1: Why did not get too weird? <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, another great version of good British music.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Breathe. yeah, good song. Great song. Perfect song for him.
1: Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that was one of the first shows that I think we got on that program, Bravo, here in the UK. And I was watching all those guys with the cellophane heads. And I was like, this is, this looks like the place that I want to be. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we were the wrestling mosh pit.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Next one is from Kyle Dima, and he asks, what was your favorite New Jack story? Hmm. Obviously we hear the crazy side of New Jack, but having seen that Beyond the Map documentary as well, like he comes across as such a kind of charismatic guy. Yeah, there was Jerome and there was
0: New Jack. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One day we're in um, Salem, Virginia, and we had gotten to the point where people were, independent wrestlers were showing up trying to get on the shows or to get booked or, or at least even get looked at. So there were so many that day, Jack said, I'll handle this. <laughs> and oh, <wow. laughs> he's, he got them to start running up one side, an aisle, across, back down, across, back down, you know, like running up and down the steps, Yeah, the entire building. And he said, the first 20 stay, the rest go home and there's like number 21 wow. was like come on and he's like nope sorry go and you're not
1: saying no to new jack. yeah yeah
0: somebody somebody actually saying no to new jack and, and you could see when he became went from jerome to new jack yeah
1: <laughs> i certainly wouldn't have said no
0: <laughs> um, i would have pled my case but I've maybe been a little more diplomatic
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Next up, we've got Handsome Nick asks. I think you've actually answered this in a way, but maybe you can add a few more. Uh, your favorite match that you ref?
0: Yeah, the you'd mentioned the the sixty minute match with with Sabu and and Shane and um, Funk. What, Funk? Why did I draw a blank? Um, <laughs> uh, Van Dam and Bam Bam. Um, the two out of three falls with with Mysterio and uh, Psychosis. Um, any of the Milenko Guerrero matches I did, oh yeah, absolutely, are, are on the list. Working with Jerry Lynn and Lance Storm, oh, uh, I working, love
1: that guys. Yeah,
0: you know Lance, Lance and Just Incredible as a tag team, working with whoever they were working with, working with Just Incredible as a referee in a company, as opposed to on the independents, you get close to the guys, and if you're good or if if you have a great relationship with Certain people they'll ask for you to referee, or they'll hope that you'll referee um yeah. p j just incredible was one of those guys. good, you got my match and and we fed off of each other we knew I knew exactly where to be for certain things that he was going to do, and I could see the setup yeah. so yeah it, you know it wasn't as much of the match as as the relationship with the guys and and making them their match better yeah um, I'm not supposed to be known. As you exactly, know, nobody's yeah. supposed to know who, what matches I did, you know, it's something you have to research. It's not something you have off the top of your head. Oh, Jim did that. Did yeah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And this yeah. and this and this. If I tell people I did the, the match between Bam Bam and Rob Van Dam for the, the TV title, when Rob won the belt, they're like, Oh, you were that referee. I was like, good. I did my job.
1: Yeah. 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 Brilliant. But we do want Joey Styles to name check you.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: You I mentioned there uh, just incredible. I absolutely hated just incredible as a like in the way that you should in terms of being a heel. That whole thing where he did with the uh, Sasuke's mask and stuff, I was like, I hate that guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, also also with um interrupting the 10 bell count for uh Dreamer's grandfather.
1: Oh my god, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah,
0: and, and that was done in the arena, you know. So that that really because there was an emotional connection between wrestlers at the arena and at the arena, the folks in the arena. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, like that. If you also look at um, Shane Douglas when he pulled uh, Gary Wolf
1: by oh, his the, collar with the halo. Yeah. The
0: halo. Yeah. I mean, the place, there were people there ready to climb over the, the railing. Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah. It's something yeah. that I think is missing a little bit in modern wrestling, like that genuine hatred for a hill.
0: Right. I, I, and it's that that realism. Hate, um, I, I thought MJF had lost it when he cut the promo uh, a couple of weeks ago where, you know, this is the reason I am the way I am. Yeah. But then last week when he he started, when he when he bloodied up CM Punk, I was like, yeah. yes, he's got it. That
1: he suckered us in. And
0: now, boom.
1: Yes, absolutely. It, it was perfect. Yeah. That um that current storyline is oof, that is brilliant yeah. pro wrestling, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's the guys knowing what they're doing um, and maybe a producer or a writer or somebody coming to them and, and saying, hey, we want you to do this. And them going, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two guys who can get away with doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very, very talented people. Just two more for you, Jim. Again, thanks so much for your time. Did you envision ECW becoming such a big part of the wrestling zeitgeist? That comes from our audio guy, Phil Stopford.
0: No, I thought we were just going to be a small local company, maybe local television. Never saw us growing to the point that we did. And also, never thought we would be as legendary as we are. You know, like you said before, with people still chanting ECW at, yep. at shows. Um, so, yeah, no, it was never expected.
1: Last but not least, somewhat embarrassingly, this is actually my question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one of my favorite things in wrestling is when a like, uh, crowd manages to change the like side of a match where for, where, for example, WrestleMania 18, Rock and Hogan, it was very much that Hogan was the heel, but the crowd was so into Hogan that they flipped it and Rock wrestled it as a heel. Did that ever happen in a match that you've had?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think um, any of the ECW matches went that way. Um, there may have been a flip after a match, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't think there was ever, ever a, a switch in a match. There was always extreme love for one guy or extreme hatred <laughs> for, for the other side. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was tough to. I mean, there may have been people in the crowd that you know booed the the wrong or cheered the wrong yeah, guy yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah. No, I don't think we ever did anything like that. That's that's something I'd have to go back
1: and look for. Maybe that's just a sign that the booking was very good.
0: <laughs> could be. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean. It, the, the fact that those two felt the change of the crowd and went with it, as opposed to fighting the crowd yeah. and, and, and sticking with what they were told to do, uh, if that's what, you know, the situation was, but yeah, if you go with the crowd and you get the crowd behind you, uh, the crowd was definitely behind the switch there
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: And, and go with it. And it worked and it, it paid off.
1: Absolutely. So that's it for all of the questions from wrestling should be fun. Jim, is there anything that you would like to plug?
0: Um, actually, I'm I'm on social media, but I'm only on um Twitter. So I'm it's at Jim Molino. It's and J I M M O L I N E A U X. Twitter's the only thing I do. Um, and I also have a line of parody T-shirts. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we, I, I took some classic or well-known T-shirts and turned them into referee offerings. So, like, really? we have really? is running wild. <laughs> uh, we have instead of Austin 316, we have referee123. Uh, we, we have that the referee did. club instead of the Bullet Club. Uh, and we have the, the one that seems to sell the most is EC Ref and W.
1: Fantastic. Love that <laughs> <laughs> um, but
0: they, they're at um, t public. So it's at tpublic.com. This is long, so let me let me do it again. It's tpublic.com slash user slash extreme dash referee.
1: Got it. I'm sure that. Um, <laughs> that, that uh, if if you go to my Twitter,
0: which is easier to find, you're, you're, you'll see links to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And please, um, if you would like to come back on at, at any point later in the year, let us know.
0: Yeah. Anytime you need me. I'm here to to help the, the fans get through <laughs> what wrestling is like today (laughs) absolutely (laughs) all
1: right jim thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you soon
0: sure thanks for having me and i always say when i sign off peace and love
1: peace and love to you too jim speak to you soon
0: wrestling should be fun should be fun wrestling should be fun wrestling should be fun should be fun wrestling should be fun